listening to Diverse Voices in Educational Practice, a mini-series for the Agents of Hope podcast, with me, your host, Dr Alexandra Saul. In this series, I interview a variety of contributors from my book, also called Diverse Voices in Educational Practice, who share their exciting work promoting meaningful voice practices in education. Our collective aim is to inspire you to develop your own meaningful voice practices. We hope you enjoy the podcast. My guests this week are Dr. Hannah Fleming and Dr. Jane Park. Hannah is an educational psychologist in the Southwest. She's a consultant psychologist to a specialist school for children with social communication needs and is the local authority educational psychologist for the virtual school. Jane is a specialist practitioner educational psychologist in the West Midlands. Her research publications include numerous journal articles and book chapters on supporting children with autism and other neurodiverse conditions. I'm thrilled to welcome them to the podcast. Let's begin with you both sharing your professional background and also your research background. Hi, Ali. I first met Jane and Jan doing the doctorate in educational psychology at the Tavistock, where I had also previously studied a postgraduate degree into the emotional factors involved in learning and teaching. But I actually didn't start off in psychology. I initially studied a philosophy degree at UCL. And within that, there were modules on political philosophy and ethics. And that was my first introduction to the study of social justice and the ideas at the heart of diverse voices in educational practice. And after that, I worked in a number of schools Um, predominantly for young people excluded from mainstream education and that gave me first-hand experience of how some voices of students, parents and teachers can be heard louder than others. Uh, I really enjoyed working in these schools and with those students and yeah that's when I began pursuing educational psychology. It's lovely to hear Hannah talking about the TAVI because that's where we met and we connected and obviously our contribution to the book uh, with with Jan Chai as well was kind of influenced by our kind of TAVI experiences and our perspectives bringing in kind of aspects of what I suppose is the the um, defining feature of the TAVI of psychodynamic and systemic practices but I also love that Hannah's thinking about social justice as well because again this is why we kind of connected as uh, colleagues as well as professionals. I think um, when I came to have the opportunity to do my doctoral research um, ideas around empowering and addressing power imbalances uh, that are kind of inherent in the research process were really at the forefront of my mind. Also, we were fortunate really to be training at a point where the new SEND code of practice was coming in and there was a bit of an overlap in terms of uh, what our profession needed to do to skill up and be able to meet the needs of an older population working with our 16 to 25s. So that was my kind of primary focus um, and keeping it really strengths-based as well, trying to find a, a, a means of getting um, to 
hear the perspectives and the voices of young people who have traditionally not been heard and have been marginalised. So my background before I came to the TAVI was mainly working with um, autistic students, really, really young ones, right up to um, older ones at sixth form and beyond. And, and so I kind of brought all of those values, like Hannah, you bring the values and the experiences pre-doctorate into what you do. And then it all kind of shapes the way that you go. And if you can invest your heart and soul into what you do, you can have a much better time. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, both of you. I love that question. I love hearing people's background and journey into the doctorate. And what came through there for me is how this interest in social justice and how that informs your interest in voice work um, has been present your whole careers, essentially. some research which we currently we recently presented at the DUCP um, conference which yeah. um, was at the um, a school that I work for in the, on a sort of consultant basis um, which was for young people with autism but actually what was what what kind of came out of the research was actually the young people didn't like to be defined by they've got autism in fact for mm. them the, their diagnosis was really not a big part of their personality or their kind of um how they define themselves um in fact for them um they didn't know that each other had um diagnoses of autism adhd pda all the rest of these yeah. diagnoses um so um the research was on uh, narrative interventions and um, thinking mm. about the tree of life intervention but what was great about it was that it was a participatory research so the young people themselves were really integral to each stage of the research um they came up with the research design alongside us they um did the 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 analysis themselves they provided obviously all of the data themselves so all along the process at every opportunity that that we were able and the young people were part of the research and just really unpicking what it is about being able to talk about your experiences using the tree of life uh, methodology um uh, sort of the tree of life intervention what it is that they um, really gained, what was useful and what wasn't. And what we found is actually it just provided them with a space to talk about themselves in a way that, so the, these were year nine uh, boys who'd been excluded multiple times and, and sort of inverted commas ended up at this school. And they hadn't, they actually had all felt quite sh a lot of shame about that. And they hadn't, spoken to one another about it so all of them thought that they were the only ones who'd been excluded and they oh, were they thought they were the yeah. only ones who had a diagnosis of autism mm -hmm. or whatever it happened to be and it was giving them Ooh. that opportunity to talk about these things where they had the, this shared history um they they just really benefited from it and it really brought the group together and it really kind of um created a much more cohesive group that's an incredible finding that's really <laughs> sounds so cheesy but that's really sort of touched at my heart there mm. this this idea that their living experience was one of isolation and thinking yeah. it's this is 
something that only I'm experiencing and mm. I'm different and to find connection with peers seems so and, powerful and it's thinking about how we how we can facilitate that to happen because it's exactly. not my business to say oh you know try you know didn't you know that little Johnny's also got this mm. you know, he was also excluded you know that's not my position yeah. to tell somebody else's private of information course. but you sort of know like oh if you only talk to one another then you'd probably find out that you had a lot more in common yeah. so just thinking about I suppose you know do teenage boys get that opportunity to really chat in the way that other people might you know, there's lots of really brilliant grassroots organizations like no more exclusions you know doing some great things yeah. um but I was thinking what can I do as an ed psych like what can I do from my position um to to sort of enable them to get to have a voice and actually you know we found that it's really been they loved being part of it and they love mm. to um they they love that they've they they can put it on their cvs and, and right improve their yes operations I, mm, I haven't i wonder if there's any research on this because i always think participatory research with children young people is a pedagogy as well it, mm. it's, ed it's educational and I like to think that we're sowing the seeds of future yeah. little social scientists yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely okay so um, a very simple question um, what interested you in contributing to the book diverse voices in educational practice Well, I think for me, um, it, it, it really kind of ties into everything that we've we've been talking about so far. So it's the idea of of kind of um, meaningful voice practices themselves can potentially be an intervention. And actually the, the, the voice practices that we see so often, um, you know, we, we may be involved through, with a young person through the statutory assessment process and the voice part of that can be really tick boxy for want of a better phrase. Is it meaningful to sort of list the things that they like to do and as if you've gone right stamp that that'll do. I also think about my work um, in, in the authority I work for with our ELSAs, which I'm sure that many readers of your book will be familiar with, the Emotional Literacy Support Assistant Programme, and how we spend so much time and care thinking about active listening and those the really important skills um, of, of, of truly listening um, and, and that sort of being meaningful. Um, also, I think when we're thinking about issues around social justice and politics, that's, I think, relatively new um in terms of the ep world we've always kind of stepped around it dodged around it a little bit and actually we need to realize that we can model the kinds of truly inclusive emancipatory practices um and not just model it to ourselves and to our trainees but actually turn around and share it a little bit more with the rest of the world and uh, and bring them in bringing that sort of really good quality psychology but but good practice um, in the hope that that can actually enable students to truly be heard for what's meaningful to them without all of those player assumptions or just stamping a stamp in a box so mm -hmm. that's that's where I was coming from yeah I think what always 
Uh, I'm always thinking about when I when I'm working as an EP and when I've been doing research um, is I'm always thinking about the sort of the power differential because I feel like that is so important and I think you know I I remember being a student I remember being uh, at school and you know, if a teacher asks you a question you think oh what's the right answer and I think you're always that's always going to be part of your part of the thinking Am I saying the right thing here? And like now that I'm a confident adult, I get sometimes I just say, oh, well, sorry, what do you mean? But I, I think, you know, if you're a young person and then on top of that, you're in a situation in which you're being asked questions in the sort of the process of getting an EHCP or the process of assessing for your special educational needs, you think about what that's like and um, you're already sort of very much it's not an equal relationship here and and I think we you know it's really important that you've got that in your mind and sometimes I think as an EP you can switch you can be doing some sort of learning based assessment and then you're like great now I'm going to ask you the next section of questions which is you know tell me about your your approach to learning or your family background or these things which are really sensitive or you know what do you like about school which seems like an innocuous question but actually yeah. if you have that absolutely terrible self-esteem and you think you're rubbish at school and someone says tell me about school you know like I'm rubbish at running if someone just said right now we're just going to do a running race <laughs> and I just be like what no that's mm. awful I'd, I'd hate that so mm. I'm just I think you are always thinking about that um, that power, the, the, the power dynamic, the differential of, of what's going on. And I think that's what I really like about um, this book. And that's why I wanted to get involved is that we're thinking, how can we work with young people in a way that we can as much as possible address this and as much as possible be inclusive of um, young people who actually really don't want to be there or young people who um, are really very scared and although they look like they're calm and collected their heart's probably beating really fast um, and then equally you know we use the, the grid elaboration method and I'm thinking um, I think that that's what me and Jane were trying to sort of and Jan were trying to get um, get get across in, in our chapter is if we are just asking questions to a sort of verbal um you know what do you think about school well you've already excluded from that um young people that need lots of visuals to understand a question and you've ex you know it's not an inclusive way of working whereas i think that the gem is a way that it, it's as as much as possible it's got a bit of structure but it um can provide um that that space for young persons to just if they want to just draw a very small picture of a stick person that's fine um it's giving them as much freedom as possible to you know, which we're trying to allow them as much freedom as possible yeah. to actually communicate what they're trying to say and it not it doesn't have to be verbal <clears throat> that's led really nicely um, sort of into the next question, which is, you know, could you expand on your contribution? You've introduced there the grid elaboration method, 
which I think has a lovely abbreviation, the gem. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me think of a gem, something sparkly and um, wonderful. And I was fascinated by it and enjoyed reading your contribution for similar reasons you've raised there, Hannah, Mm. being that it is so open. Yeah. Um, It's this quadrant of four spaces and, uh, you know, children, young people can place down whatever they want on those quadrants. Jane, you are very well versed in the gem as well. And um, I know you've used it in previous research. Could you expand a little bit on your contribution and why you wanted to bring this method um, to the book for, for readers? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, just like Hannah's saying, it's it's a really inclusive method. And I think um, when when we were doing our research, you know, we the GEM was a tool that was mostly grounded in social psychology and kind of looking at issues of, of, mm-hmm. of relevance in that domain. It certainly hadn't been used in the EP world before. And I think we came to it um, possibly encountering some you know, reasonable resistance along the way, like why this, why using this methodology? And so you, re- as professionals, we really had to interrogate why, why are we using this methodology? Yeah. But I think that the information that we were able to gain from using it was so rich, so empowering, um, so, you know, emancipatory for the participants and, um, you know, without breaching any confidentiality out of the participants that I spoke with in my research, which was looking at um, young autistic adults' experiences of moving into further education and kind of the factors which enable that. um, You know, half of my... um, half of my participants have contacted me since on regular occasions saying, when are you publishing it? I want everybody to hear. I gave you my time. I gave you my thoughts. Get it out there. You know, what have you changed my name to? I really want to see, you know, Mm -hmm. the impact of what I'm doing. So there's that idea about taking pride in it. Um, But we saw an opportunity, I think, to move this into practice. So I experimented earlier in my EP career with using the GEM with students who the narrative around them was you won't get anything out of them Mm, I don't know why you're even trying (laughs) Mm -hmm. you'll be lucky Mm -hmm. if they stay in the room and you know it's a little bit of a challenge to us because I think the EP profession does kind of pride itself on pupil voice work and actually being able to reach the hardest to reach in the in the perceptions of others I don't think we see any individual is hard to reach. We just perhaps haven't found quite the right methodology yet. Um, and the gem, because it there is no pressure of having to answer a question, it's about a student's own experiences and their own version of it. So sometimes I've used the gem and we have sat together for an hour exploring it. Sometimes I've used it and I have had five or ten minutes of their time but then with that kind of checking back that kind of clarifying at the end that student feels they've said what they want to say and they've been heard that's what's meaningful about it and I found it does really translate into practice and what I always think at the end of it is how else would I have gained this knowledge if I'd used a questionnaire would I have found this out if I'd used you know drawing the ideal self which I do use and I think they're wonderful tools um how would I have how else would I have got to this and I don't think I have yet to find another methodology that's so simple and easy to do that would enable 
um, the knowledge that I gain to come forwards. But I do think there's more there's more to it than than just writing out a little simple grid. And that's why we sort of added in some reflections in our chapter contribution around the techniques that you would need yeah. to be able to get the most from it. So it's not saying, oh, you need to do a doctorate to be able to use the gem. Not that at all. But you need to understand what it is about that process that enables that information to come forward and for me it's partly it's just really good quality active listening skills apart from anything else. I also think what I really like about um, doing the gem is that is if is this sort of um, give and take and the conversation that you have around it because mm. that is the um, as you as you're both saying the, that is the the most important part of the process. I think sometimes I find I might do a questionnaire like the resiliency scales or the BEC, which I do use a lot. And sometimes the answers that they've given are actually really big, big things. You know, you yeah. ask you ask them a questionnaire. You know, uh, do you agree or disagree with the statement? I'm I'm a good I'm a good learner or or even with the Beck, these are, you know, it goes into those much more kind of uh, darker areas around depression and anxiety. And sometimes a young person will give these answers which say, you know, no, I'm depressed and I'm unhappy and I have no one that I can talk to. And then I think, gosh, right, mm. you've just filled in a questionnaire. I've just read your answers in this questionnaire. Now what? No. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like I can't just say, great, thanks for the questionnaire. Back to maths. Pull up into an EHCP, yeah. a needs assessment, you know. Mm. And it, if you're just seeing a child once, that doesn't really feel like, um, it feels like it needs a follow-up. Yeah. Whereas I think the GEM is a piece of work in and of itself. You can mm. ask a young person, what do you think? And they might draw or or write something which signifies that they are unhappy and then you can then use the space to think with them or oh, you know can you tell me more let's think about this you know we're not solving the problem but we're yeah. just going to sit with it and think about it you're touching touch there on some of the challenges to this work which is prompting me to sort of ask another question of you both which is not just educational psychologists, but all educational professionals, mm. teachers, teaching assistants, school counsellors, etc. What challenges do, do those educational professionals face in trying to engage in meaningful voice work? Oh, the, the first thing that leaps into my mind is time. Mm. Um, it's something yeah. that, you know, it, it, you, when you're thinking about that moment, Hannah, that you're describing, like, I've got to gather some information within this time frame for an EHCP, mm. but I need to do it in an, as an ethical and kind of um, pupil-centred way as I can. But even so, sometimes that leads us into really difficult gear mm. changes between, right, you've just opened up your whole life. We've gone through the back. You talked to me about your anger and depression. Uh, well what are you going back to now maths you know I mean mm. we don't work in that way but we do have to think about how we um, spend that time together and I think we're fortunate in many ways in our profession that we do get given time to spend with students to gain their voice so we we're well practiced in that but I think the the counter to that when we're talking about the importance of relationships and kind of um, you know 
it, particularly in secondary schools where students are kind of switching around a lot of teachers is how do you find that time how do you create that space to be able to um you know meaningfully listen to and and respond to as well it's not just you taking all of this information and taking away it's actually that dialogue that two-way tell me more um and and what that can look like when we're all sort of time impoverished mm. Definitely. theme that runs through each chapter is time. And that's one of the reasons it became a workbook is I didn't want readers to think we were expecting a lot of them. I think even if it just leads to an orientation towards thinking about others and how to view their perceptions, that's enough. about creating more time it's about how you use the time when you're with you know whatever yeah. role you're in how you use that time perhaps yeah. um you know some of the students that we work with in in the ep world are the ones who po possibly have the most resources available to them in a school or a setting it's how that time is used um and how that resource is used not perhaps asking for any more than we can already ask but <laughs> using yeah. it um yeah that's great that's a nice way to try and overcome the challenge. Um, how about yourself, Hannah? What I think there's thoughts? just there's lots of constraints on ev in every way at the moment, and I think that you know we could talk for a long time about this sort of different levels of um, the like macro system and micro system, and we could think about funding and um, the broader the broader sort of perspective, which I think is. You know, you only have to look at the news this morning to see that there's there's um, going to be increased number of children in the care system because of rising levels of poverty, which is all linked to the cost of living. And these are huge. And sometimes I, I know I look at the news and I just feel so overwhelmed. I almost want to just switch it off or turn my phone off if I'm reading it on the web on, you know, on my news apps on my phone. I just find it so big. Um, and you just think that with each of these um, cases, e this is a young person who this is their whole life story. And if they're taken into care because of these bigger, bigger things, you know, it's it. there's a lot at play. Um, and um, so I think that, yeah, there's time and there's money, which are all bigger pressures and I think it's just after COVID I feel like people are all feeling like we have been <laughs> through the mill really and I feel like so I've, I've got an amazing bunch of Elsas I run two supervision groups with my um some Elsas so um and they they do incredible things with the young people on the ground day in day out but you know they'll say well I've got six young people that I'm seeing on a Monday and you know five on a Tuesday and you think gosh you've got mm. to plan for all of this and um show progress with your target monitoring and review um it just feels quite like a big thing a, a lot mm. I, I feel like generally it feels very overwhelming at the moment mm. I can certainly um agree with that and also with your point that it's that way for everyone because we've had a when I talk about it I always emphasize the word global global yeah. pandemic mm. that's 
that's huge and you're right we're we're kind of sort of putting a book out there into the universe at a time that has many different systemic and political challenges let's move on to a final question then and this is sort of moving away from challenges towards hopefully a sort of positive perspective which you've both outlined wonderfully during this interview and the final question is what is there to be hopeful about because of educational professionals wishing to develop their meaningful voice practices I think when in a time when we're just feeling we're feeling under strain for various reasons that you've spoken about what we want to be doing really is thinking and creating ways that we can use our time um, most meaningfully and most usefully and I think this is what this does I think or well, I'm always nervous to when I'm working with teachers and um, teacher assistants to say oh here's a book for you to read here's another thing for you to do because but it's I think it's really useful when someone says oh here's a tool it won't take you anything much to uh, you know it won't take long for you to learn about it or um, won't take long for you to to you don't have to read upon the theory but this will provide you with a way that you can most meaningfully listen to young people and I think that there's if you're going to be carrying out work with young people and, and doing it's like you said earlier um, if they don't want to do it you're not hiding to nothing you know, there's no, you can plan and plan for a whole term's lessons, but if the young people doesn't want to do it, young person doesn't want to do it, then it's not going to work. You need mm. to listen to them in the right at the beginning. Do you want to do this? <laughs> is this what you're, you know, is this going to be helpful to you? Um, and I think this is what, is that's what I want to do, is help level the playing field. Excellent. That brings us back to your social justice perspective. Fantastic. And Jane? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely second what Hannah's describing. I think something like the GEM and, and the case examples that we've given. So obviously with Jan's work in the Youth Offending Service, I think traditionally that's not associated with um, very easy to reach open book students actually you've got to work really hard through relationships through trust um, to be able to to get close but something that the gem did is put the power back in their hands and when you get when you empower a young person then you hear from them and you hear from them in a way that feels safe and meaningful to them and then wow you know what richer information could you possibly have and I think that's where I have that hope is just by by sharing examples where um of, of meaningful voice practices through those cases, through showing what's possible. It might actually inspire and energize people when in, in a time when we're all feeling depleted mm -hmm. to be able to take that step forwards. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you so much. Yes, and actually that's a topic hasn't been touched on the podcast yet, that this type of work can invigorate the practitioner as well I think yeah. that's really important at yeah. a time at a, at a time when you know we've mm. all been working remotely and I think yes um, there was um, a very interesting piece of 
um, research at um, that I heard about at the DCP conference by I think it was University of Exeter um, uh, tutors who done who just done a survey of educational psychologists. Mm. Um, you know, how have you how do you feel after working remotely for the last <laughs> couple of years? You know, and I mean, it, it, there was it, it was an interesting kind of just to hear different perspectives, but. I think we've got to point for teachers, teaching assistants, other support staff, educational psychologists, head teachers, you know, everyone has reached their limit of, 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 of it, I'd say, yes. <laughs> in one way or another. And I think we need to find ways where people can feel like they're doing something uh, that they enjoy. Which, yeah, I know people are do, are, do enjoy their work, but just kind of reinvigorating their their approach. Thank you both so much. You've been really candid and open and wonderful guests. I'm so appreciative of you joining me as contributors for the book and also for this podcast as well. Thank and you it, to you. Oh, you're Thank welcome. Thank you very much. have enjoyed listening to this episode and if you have enjoyed yourself please consider reading our book of the same title diverse voices in educational practice published october 31st 2022 by speechmark route lynch available in all good bookshops i've always wanted to say that goodbye